What's up, y'all a little faith? And welcome to episode number 13. 13. 13. Of the Fagnostic Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hayes, and if I'm still giving you episodes, it means that I'm still looking for answers. We know. Today, I have Pastor Drew Stever with us. First time on the podcast, but my second time interviewing them. I first interviewed Drew on KPFK here in Los Angeles as part of the Stonewall Dems Pride Month radio station takeover. I was so inspired by their story that I wanted them back at the mic. The pastor was born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota. I just love St. Paul pork products. In fact, I love them so much. I work here now. If you don't get that Drop Dead Gorgeous reference. Bye bye. Bye. Bye now. He went to his family's Lutheran church every Sunday and Wednesday and his Catholic school's mass services every week. Despite the frequent church attendance, Drew hasn't always been a fan of church or Christianity for that matter. But that started to change thanks to the mentorship of a community of women. It was during his internship with a chaplain at a state correctional facility that he heard the call to ministry. In October 2016, two months into seminary and one month before the U.S. presidential election, Yes, that one. Drew came out as transgender. This transition propelled Drew into noticing, witnessing, and experiencing God's presence in the in-between places of life. God did not just create sun and moon but twilight and dawn as well. Can I get an amen? God loves weirdos. This is a saying that Pastor Drew lives by. So, from one weirdo to another, welcome Pastor Drew Stever. You betcha, Iris. Reverend Drew, two questions I ask every episode to start off the episode with. One, are you a believer? Yes, I believe in God and I believe in love and I believe in liberation of the oppressed. Liberation of the oppressed. Amen to that. And then can you please identify your pronouns for us? I use they, then there, and he, him, his pronouns. Great. Thank you. We met a year and a half ago, I think, uh, when we did the faith panel. Um, and and I, I just was enamored at your voice and the contribution you make to the faith world at that time and, and how much good you're doing for young queer youth, especially um, through your Quarantine Camp, which we'll discuss in a little bit as well. But you recently um, have been welcomed to Los Angeles at Hope Lutheran Church over on Melrose. Uh, so A, welcome to the show. B, welcome to Los Angeles. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been a ride being here. So thank you. Yeah. I, I imagine any kind of massive change or shift during this pandemia uh, is probably uh, intensified because of obviously the circumstances around us, right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's um, yeah, it, it feels kind of surreal. And also this is the reality. Sure. And you're not, an, I know you're not an LA native, but you're California native, right? No, nope, I'm originally from Minnesota. Oh, see how I, I could, you, I could have guessed had you just said that word, Minnesota. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And I keep running into random Minnesotans all over the city. I mean, it's a large city and I keep running into someone who they ask me if I know their cousin in Faribault, Minnesota. Right. <laughs> but you know, that speaks to the, the law of attraction too, you know, like we are who we attract. I mean, I'm Southern and even though I'm not often proud of what, what the South is known for. I do tend to like acclimate towards Southerners and Midwesterners here in LA. I think it's because we share a sense of humor. We share trauma. We share outlooks on life, um, life experiences. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, how are you liking LA? It's, you know, it's great and it's overwhelming because there's so many 
neighborhoods it's beautiful that there's so many neighborhoods but it's overwhelming because i want to experience all of them and and just learn about the history of the city the neighborhoods um connect with organizations in our ministry and just know people um, yeah yeah so it's that, been- that's what that's what makes you a good clergy that desire to know and to connect. But that's one of the things I love about, this is so off topic of this podcast, but that's one of the things I love about Los Angeles is that it's just a collection of small towns. It also makes it difficult because people live and, and will only thrive in their little bubble of their neighborhoods. But it does mean that every single neighborhood has its own distinct personality and charm to it and not charm. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, So tell us who you are, we know you're from Minnesota, um, but just give us the rundown on who is Drew Stever. Uh, Drew Stever, uh, born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota, came to California actually a few years ago for an internship in Santa Monica with the only ELCA Lutheran congregation that specifically requests LGBTQIA seminarians. Uh, and from there, just fell in love with the area, fell in love with the person that always helps as well. Um, and yeah, just started building relationships out here. Uh, I came out as trans one month before the presidential election in 2016 when, um, well, when 45 was elected. So that was a whole experience. Um, but my, uh, my gender identity, my sexual identity are in, especially in like the last five, 10 years have had this interesting, interconnectedness and interweaving with my faith. Um, I haven't always been a fan of the church. In fact, there are many years where I identify as atheist, but now here I am a called and ordained minister. Wearing that white collar. <laughs> yep. Wearing the collar. Yep. Wow. So can you quickly tell me about the ELC Lutheran church? Because I was brought up to only know about the Lutheran church as um the literal interpretation of the blood and the bread and the body um, in terms of communion. But there, there's a couple different main sects of Lutheran um, congregations, right? Yeah. So there's a few different flavors of the Lutheran denomination and the Lutheran denomination came out of the reformation when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the church doors. And, um, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, that came out about in around the 80s with the merging of a few other smaller uh, denomin- uh, flavors, I guess. And uh, the ELCA is notably the more, I guess, progressive version of the Lutheran tradition. And then there's Missouri Synod and Wisconsin Synod. Um, and the ELCA, in 2009, we voted to uh, allow for openly uh, LGBTQ same-sex, uh, clergy to serve in the church before they could technically serve as pastors and leadership, uh, in the church, but they couldn't be out, um, or they couldn't openly be in a same-sex relationship. And now it's become quote unquote legalized. Right. Um, yeah. So the, the Lutheran church, the big proponent of our theology is grace where God's grace is give, given to us as a gift freely. We don't have to check any boxes, do any sort of task, pay any sort of penance um, to any hierarchy, um, just in the simple fact that we are created in God's image and God's image is good. We are given God's love and God's grace. 
was grace one of the big issues that that martin luther posted about uh it's so funny because like we you know we talk about an influencer doing a big post now and he was like the og influencer with his with his posts (laughs) yeah he was probably one of the original like a viral post i guess in those times viral meaning within a couple days you'll hear about it right um yeah so for him he he was a big proponent of getting the gospel to the people in a language that they understood at the time it was latin and only those with the most power knew latin and money yeah so they could um translate the bible however they wanted and the people wouldn't know otherwise so he translated it in german the invention of the printing press came along and he could distribute it um, but the other thing with the Catholic church, he was a Catholic monk, so he was going against his own tradition. But the thing that he criticized greatly was, um, you know, you have to pay X amount in order to get into heaven. And he would read the Bible because he had a hard time with it. He would read the Bible over and over and over. And then one day he fell on, I think, in Ephesians, where it says, by God's grace, we are saved. And he found that line and he just had this revelation like, I don't need to pay my life savings. It's by God's grace freely given to us that we are already saved. And he wrote this, this long um, letter basically saying how they were wrong. And he was um, well kicked out basically. Yeah. But um, hence the development of this worldwide congregation now. Right. And it's yeah. funny because the, you described the ELC as, as the more progressive sect of, of Lutheranism. Is that the right terminology? Lutheranism? Yeah. Let's okay. go. <laughs> but you know, to me, if evangelical evangelism is one of the most triggering words in the world. Um, and that's really fascinating that that word is actually what honors the more progressive sect of your denomination. Yeah. And there's actually some, conversations going on amongst many people about getting rid of the the word because of how triggering it is really i think you know as a queer person just the word queer like that word itself has caused great harm to our community and as we've seen in like the last decade people are reclaiming that word because it it's our word you can't use the words that are ours against us and so i think I feel more about like, what if we reclaim the word evangelism? Because in the meaning of the word is proclaiming the good news, but what we associate it with is not so much good news. Yeah. It's not so much good news when you're told you're going to hell. Right. Yeah. That's not <laughs> very comforting. Wow. Um, so I want to go back to, cause you, you said that you came out as trans a month before the 2016 election and I imagine that at that time, we had just come off of eight years of what seemed like progress and expansive thought as it relates to gender and sexual expression. So you were coming out thinking like, the world is my oyster, like we're on the right track. And then you learned a month later, oh, fuck. Mm. Um, Maybe this, did you have any, like, were your fears intensified? Did regrets come up a month after coming out? Yeah, I mean... The buildup to coming out, I was feeling I had I have an amazing community, an amazing support system. So the buildup, like the personal buildup was very stressful. What if it goes wrong? What if people hate me? Blah, blah, blah. 
Um, people as in like people within the church or just people at, at large? Everyone, my community, basically. I didn't really care about people I didn't know about, but what if my friends, my family, my classmates, my church, what if they didn't accept me? Um, but everyone I told, they received me with love. They responded with love and care. Um, so I was feeling okay when it came time to publicly come out. And I, I don't remember what I said exactly, but I remember writing it just thinking, you know, if someone puts an ignorant comment, like I posted on Facebook, if someone puts an ignorant comment, I'll just delete it because I have my parents, I have my sister, I have my friends, they all have my back. And were they I, all instantly supportive of you when you came out? Yes. Um, wow. I wrote a letter and um, I wrote a letter just kind of putting everything out there and we talked about it and they just said, you know, we love you no matter what. And we want to be on this journey with you. Um, we're a good German Midwest family, so we don't talk about feelings all that much. But when we do, it's it's usually like we're going to support you regardless of how you identify. Wow. What a um, blessing. Yeah. So that I was I feel very lucky to have that. And then. I was living in Chicago at the time by myself. I would started seminary and um, just like everyone watching the results come in and feeling very hopeful with the trajectory that Hillary, Hillary Clinton was on and what she was about and, and following in the footsteps of Obama and just the hope that came from it and just watching the results coming in and getting more and more hopeless and more and more depressed by it and just feeling like what now yep what do i do um yeah. and being in seminary like we're gonna talk about things so the next day i think all our professors we just said you know if you don't want to come to class today you don't have to come but if you do want to come to class today we're gonna just spend some time talking like just processing yeah not do work um i don't know if i went to class that day i don't remember um, but just having that space available. Yeah. Uh, I remember right. those, those days after the election, it was, I mean, here in LA, it was, and I'm sure it was the same in Chicago. Like there was just a cloud yeah. over the city. It was the, it was really, yeah. and to be quite honest, I don't think that I personally have escaped from that cloud because it just shined a light on humanity as a whole. Um, and also the last remaining bits of my faith at that time. And it, cause you know, the people that, quote unquote, one, we're touting this God and, and using that God and that Jesus Christ messianic savior concept, they were weaponizing it against anyone that wasn't like them. And they still are. Um, and, you know, thankfully those voices are, are slowly but surely being squashed, um, which is, you know, a lot of the reason of this podcast is to elevate voices like yours, uh, because I do think that queer people are the ones that are going to save religion if it's to be saved. Um, but I'm just so blown away by how loving your family instantly was being from the Midwest. Like that's not a common story. So, I mean, before, cause you are, and I don't want to assume the pronouns of your partner, but do they identify as, as female or they, she, she okay. Um, so the, did you identify as, as a lesbian before coming out as trans? Yeah. So I came out as lesbian in high school. I went to Catholic school all through high school. So that was fun. Um, it actually wasn't bad, but it was just kind of awkward, I guess. Sure. Um, 
Yeah. So I came out as lesbian in high school and then that felt fine in the time that it was. And then as I went through college was just feeling like this doesn't, I felt further and further removed from just any feminine experience or not experience, but identity. Um, and was learning like, uh, um, non-binary was becoming more of a topic of conversation. And I was like, huh, yeah, I don't really feel like either one. Um, and then it was, so I was, I identified more as non-binary for a few years. And then I think the year after I graduated college, it was in the middle of the summer, I like had this revelation in the middle of July. I woke up and with, I woke up with one thought and it was, I think it was a Holy Spirit moment where the Holy Spirit was saying, you don't have to be angry anymore. Hmm. You don't have to be uncomfortable anymore. You can be yourself. And I knew instantly what that meant that I was trans and I wasn't, I didn't question it. I didn't do research. I just knew like, yeah. And, and what's interesting is that I hadn't really been like actively thinking, maybe I'm trans, maybe I'm trans right. until that moment. It just like happened. Um, I wish, I hope that we get to a place someday where, cause saying like, you know, I, I had the epiphany of realizing I was trans seems like it's counter to, to the natural um, existence of things. And I, the more that I read and study about, you know, the afterlife or reincarnation or the Vedas or whatever, the more that I'm kind of adopting a mentality of our souls carry on, but are in that are completely disassociated from the body we have in this life. And I I brought this up on the last, um, on a couple episodes ago, just about how I wonder, are we all not non-binary to a point because of the fact that our soul is not a reflection of our body in conception until society tells us how to dress, what colors we can like, what toys we can play with and all that stuff. Mm. So I hope, I hope that one day, you know, and, and as I have, I I hate even crediting myself with evolving because I, some days I feel like I'm the most ignorant person in the world, but in my, my goal to evolve, I have since really decided that on birth certificates, like I don't want the two letters there, M and F, because it's just setting people up for failure. And life figures it out. Like you're, I mean, you're, we're going to know if we create that space and it won't take 20 some odd years for someone to identify as trans. It'll be, they're just raised in a way that's supportive and open and free. Yeah. Maybe that's ignorant. I don't know, but um, I, I just hate that people have to come out as something. Right. Yeah. Even, and- that, even that phrase coming out just seems yeah. opposite of nature or something, you know? I remember when I was maybe like 10, 15 years ago, I was joking with my friends where we were saying, you know, I want a world where our kids come out as straight because that's like, that's like newsworthy. Whereas it's just normal (laughs) for someone to be pan, bi, gay, queer, you know? Absolutely. Um, Because I think that's, I mean, if I'm to believe in God, I think God encompasses all those words, the pan, the poly, the mm-hmm. non-bi, like the, I mean, it's just, and in that, that's why I think that our souls must be non-gendered as well. If, if, if our, 
if God is non-gendered, which I do believe they are, because I think they transcend any type of label we could possibly put on them, then -hmm. our souls must be the same because that soul is part of God, Mm -hmm. I I think. Um, And you have a really beautiful, in your bio, something that I have heard recently before, but I just want to touch on it, um, honoring the in-between places in life. Um, Your transition propelled you into noticing and witnessing and experiencing God's presence in the in-between places of life. God did not just create sun and moon, but twilight and dawn as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think the binariness of, of scripture, of, of Christianity as a whole, not, you know, in its smaller progressive pockets, but that binariness is what's killing us and killing the world because it doesn't allow for any space. And that space is where grace lies. That space is where freedom lies. And even in the Bible, when the verse talks about uh, where two or more are gathered, there I am also. I don't think it's because of the individuals. I think it's because of the connection between the individuals, that space between. That's where God is, if there's, if I'm to believe that there's a God. And I love that you, in, in discovering your own uh, identity, that's where you were. I mean, you were seeing a chance to worship God by recognizing yourself for the first time. Yeah, the so, oh yeah, something you just said really hit a chord. That it's not so much in the people, but in the gathering, mm-hmm. in the relationship, in the that space between us. Um, and I just like there are stories in the Bible where Jesus occupies in between spaces. So there's a story when he is on the boat on the way from Capernaum to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's addressing the crowd. So he's not on the ground on either side. He's in the middle, in the fluidity. And in the Sea of Galilee, it was, con- it was often tumultuous. There was high winds, there was storms. So it's chaotic. He's in the chaos, addressing the people on the shore, telling them it's going to be okay. And telling the disciples who are on the boat, freaking out about a storm because I don't know. They're on the sea constantly and they're still surprised that there's a storm. Right. (laughs) How often do, are we in chaos? And then two seconds later, we're surprised by more chaos. Um, Yeah. So he, he's frequently seen in these in-between spaces and he crouches down and he writes in the dirt with the women and only she can see what he writes. Um, But he's not above talking to everyone up here. And he's, he's not like ignoring her. He actually goes into this, like, um, other plane it feels like with her um but I, I also think about like in in engendering god at all we do a disservice because god just is the language any uh, any attempt to put language on god even by saying god we limit god you're so right and, and the language that we use that western culture uses for gender it's, it's very colonial colonized yes colonized yeah. what i'm thinking of um and it supports all the things that we're against misogyny sexism uh even yeah. ageism you know i mean there's it's but every episode that i do of this podcast i have like a a, a damascus road moment i guess um and one i just had was in in the imagery of how many spaces in between in the bible are we given when moses separates the water and they pass through when the three days in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I mean, even the imagery of Christ on the cross, his arms are expanded and to, to suggest the area in between enveloping 
the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that that, that must be where God lives is in that space between in Mm -hmm. between the, the binary in between the, this or that in between the good or bad. Yeah. And Jesus was constantly traveling. He didn't stay in one place. Yeah. And in, in the non-binary, in the, in between spaces. Yeah. I, I am totally with you that God is just there constantly moving and to put a limit on anyone is, I agree. It's totally just belittling their fullness as a creation of God. It's diminishing the, the abundance of life that's in their spirit. Absolutely. So before getting to hope, uh, which is the church that you are at now, uh, you were living somewhere in central or Northern California, right? I was in Santa Monica. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it's just down the road. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Just down the road. I was at St. Paul's Lutheran church in Santa Monica. Okay. Um, So you're from St. Paul and then you were at St. Paul's Lutheran church. Okay. I would also be remiss if in referencing St. Paul, we don't quickly talk about drop dead gorgeous. Do you know the movie? Yes, I do. Okay. (laughs) I can't hear the word St. Paul without thinking about um, St. Paul pork products. Oh my God. (laughs) I I love them so much. I work here now. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't watched that movie in some, oh, I need to of It's one of my favorites of, I'd say it's in my top five films of all time. And I probably watch it at least once every two months. Um, And I'll often, I've got a couple of friends in Vegas and we just will send each other memes weekly um, referencing the film. Uh, I I think it is just the the funniest group of performers. It's so rich. Um, And I come from someplace that can be very uh, caricatured, characterized. Uh, I'm from Alabama. Like we can make fun, we can make fun of that too. But um, so I hope that nobody thinks I'm offending the, the stereotypes of, of Minnesotans because uh, oh, I have a lot of lo- lot of loved ones who are from there, um, but that that's not a, a known progressive hub. So in your hometown, did you, after coming out and becoming more vocal, because you do have a presence um, online and everything, like what was the feedback? What was the the response? The well, so the St. Paul and Minneapolis are are actually pretty progressive cities. It's like when you get into larger Minnesota, northern Minnesota, that mm-hmm. is commonly known as um yeah you see a lot more conservative presence but then every once in a while you see like a rainbow flag in the middle of northern minnesota so Mm -hmm. it's it's hit or miss but yeah so it was um so we have the the phrase minnesota nice and minnesota nice being like if if i bump into you i will apologize or if you bump into me, I will apologize. Uh, like, we're, oh, sorry. And it's not our fault at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas in New York, if someone bumps into you, you're like, watch where you're going, you know? Yeah. Um, Minnesota nice is uh, often Minnesota passive aggressive. So we'll say things are interesting a lot when really they greatly disturb us, but we don't want to upset anyone. So we just say that's interesting. Um, so when I came out, I think, for the most part, everyone was just kind of like live and let live. Um, there wasn't, I mean, there was a, I had a lot of my own inner turmoil. I think when people, from my experience, when I came out, I was doing a lot of processing already. 
And then when I came out, it was out in the world and I just felt really angry and I was still doing a lot of processing. And if you weren't on board, then you can just forget about it. Um, you know, you, you're in that angry space. I think there's also some grief there as well, just in naming who you are. Um, and say, say that again, because that's so there's a lot of grief in just naming who you are. Yeah. I, I want straight people to hear that because that's, you know, when people talk about like, oh, there's no such thing as privilege. That's fucking privilege yeah. to not have to have grief to name yourself, to name yeah. who you are, what you are. Yeah. I mean, for me, for, I mean, coming out twice, there's a lot of grief in coming out as trans because you grow up in this experience and it's not, it doesn't fit you and you don't have the language to identify why it doesn't fit you. Then you finally have the language to identify it. And you feel like this whole time you could have been saved from the pain and discomfort had you been given the language, but no one around you had the language. So you can't really be mad at the people around you because they also didn't know. But I, I mean, I still catch myself every once in a while thinking about what would life be like now had I not come out as trans and just remained how I identified before um, and just picturing like what sort of things would I be doing in my life? What would I be wearing? But then I'm like, why are you, you're just like sending yourself down a sad hole. Why, mm-hmm. why is this happening? But yeah, there is grief because you know, you, you have hopes and visions of dreams of who you want to be and what you want to do. And then there's also hope because who you are inherently in your, in the essence of yourself might be different from that. And there is hope in that because you can live into your own freedom, but then in doing so you let go of all the hopes and plans and dreams that you had well, and how many of those hopes and dreams were placed on you or projected upon you by those around you? And it, not to say that that was an ill intent from parents or from neighbors or whatever, but, um, you know, a lot of that, that's, I, I've decided that, you know, in, in, in getting older, we forgive our parents for a lot and, and, and we, or we, we should, we have, we hopefully do, um, because you realize like, we're all just doing the best we fucking can. They weren't trying to like create trauma in raising a gay boy, as straight in Alabama, you know, that's, that's not on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, oh, straight people have it easy. Um, <laughs> so when you came out then as trans, did you, you were in seminary. So did you have a period of time where you were like, fuck this? I, I cannot, I'm, I'm no. Or did you, did you, did you maintain your connection to the divine throughout, throughout your entire coming out process? It's interesting. I, I would oh, you say just it, said it. You just said your phrase. That's, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, I would say that I, I was more in, I think maybe am, I'm more interested in what God is doing in the world than what the church is doing in the world. Oh, wait, say that again. <laughs> I, when I started seminary and even now, uh, I graduated last spring, I would say that I'm more interested in what God is doing in the world than what the church is doing in the world. Man, that is, that's, that is good. Yeah. Um, so when I came out in seminary, I didn't really care if 
the seminary or the church. I mean, I did care, but I didn't. I didn't care if they accepted me or if they kicked me out. I could just find another seminary to go to or just educate myself. That would take a lot of work, but whatever. Um, but you were committed to the, the divine's uh, work through you. That's just so... God was the first person I, I turned my anger towards in coming out. Yeah, I was more concerned with what God was doing. And I, I was I was committed to... I love reading the Bible now because I, I read it. And then if it doesn't make sense to me, I have shelves of books that tell me what this certain passage means, what was going on in the time that this was written. Why were these people in the story and not these people? Why was this person named and this person not named? And in putting those pieces together, you read it and you're just like, Oh, wow. It's, it's so mine. You're, you're saying we have to honor context. Yeah. Yes. Wow. What a, what a novel idea. I know. Right. <laughs> you're not just reading the Bible. You're reading behind the Bible. Um, yes. Oh yeah. yeah. I think that should be the name of your podcast behind the Bible. Reading behind Patrice the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So, so being more interested in what God was doing in the world uh, can be difficult and exhausting because when you're a pastor, your job is to not only care for the community, but to journey with people as they're learning about God and help them learn about the context of the gospel and how it relates to today. And you even sometimes have to remind your bishops and your colleagues what God is doing. If you remember, like, you know, you might say, if you remember in the past six weeks of the lectionary, it says, what does Jesus tell us to do? To abide in him, to those who eat his flesh and drink his blood, who partake in him, consume him, abide in him, will have eternal life. They, they're good. So, and, but that's anyone. He said anyone who partakes in that. But at the end of it all, all you need to do is abide in him. And it's so easy to just forget that even as a leader in the church. Oh, I'm sure. Because we, we do place our religious leaders on a pedestal. I mean, even being anti-religious, I still place certain religious leaders on a pedestal, you know? Um, the people I have on this podcast, I just, I like am in awe of because of, of your journeys and your commitment to, to loving the world in a way that I cannot. Um, you, you met your partner, you, you've been together for two years, is that right? Okay. And she is stunning, first of all. Um, but you have a little funny story on your bio on the church website just about how y'all, uh, or, or I think it's on Instagram about how you met and, um, and oh, yeah. she, she had some hesitancy at first. Can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah. So we met at a church function. Uh, who knew that church is like where love can happen? Match I, I don't have that app. Yeah. <laughs> it's still in the works. Um, yeah. So we met at a church. Well, at first we met at an ordination and then we met again at uh, like a, a conference that the Bishop was holding. It was like an educational conference. And I, <laughs> I asked her for coffee or for lunch or something. And she's like, yeah, you should come up here and meet the kids. And she Wait, thought, kids. Yeah. She has three kids. <gasps> Oh, we're getting, oh, I cannot wait to talk about that next. Cause I, yeah. I, I want, I love kids and I want kids so bad. Yeah. They're great. 
So she thought it was like, let's hang out, like come meet everyone. I'm like, yeah, okay. And then later I said, you know, I had so much fun, but I'd really love to just get together with you. And then she was like her, a friend of ours, mutual friend was like, they're asking you out. And she's like, what? No. Why would, why, why would he do that? Like, I think she just didn't think that people would ask her out, but I did. And then she said, thank you. You're so nice, but no. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Whatever. We can be friends. You're cool. And then at another church function, we had, uh, we like skipped out on one of the workshops and went to go have lunch and we're talking and we were in a labyrinth and it was like, I don't know if you've been in a moment or been in a conversation with someone where like, you can feel like your souls are like coming together and intertwining with each other and you're not really doing anything or saying, yeah, I, I try to avoid those moments. Yeah. Cause it's like, what's happening. <laughs> right. That's exactly what happened. And then we were both just like, well, we should head back. Uh, I think we have to head back. And then the rest is history after that. Oh, yeah. How, old are, how old are her kids? 11, 15, and 17. Wow. So what was that like? Because, I mean, the younger generation is, is naturally uh, m- more acclimated to, to at least the representation of, of queer people in media and, and, you know, especially here in L.A. or other, you know, large city markets. What was that like for them? They, they're amazing. They, uh, they all helped create quarantine camp they had a lot of opinions one of them came up with the name the other or i think the same one came up with the logo um they're they're really active in their like in their schools and with their friends with lgbtqia stuff race anti-racism stuff like they're like we're gonna be okay because of their generation i'm glad to hear you say that because i worry (laughs) yeah no they're they're great um, what is quarantine camp? I mean, obviously it's a play on quarantine and, and trying to still provide um, some kind of, of camp concept to, to youth, but tell me about quarantine camp. Yeah. Quarantine camp. Uh, well, it was, when did we, well, I think we announced it in April. So of 2020, yeah, 2020 shelter in place orders were issued in March and April we were, there was a number of things coming up in the summer that got canceled that um, the kids were really looking forward to. So Hazel, you mean like all of life. Yeah. Everything was canceled. (laughs) You can't can't, like take the garbage out, stay home. Um, So Hazel, my partner and I, we were talking one day and we're like, what, what are we going to do? Like, there's gotta be something online that, helps them be in community with people their own age and just like fun activities. And we were asking friends of ours who are in, who work in camps or just other churches. Cause we're like, have you heard of anything? Is there anything like that? And there was nothing, there's nothing virtual. So we kept talking with other people and with ourselves. And then it, again, like the Holy spirit was like, um, hello, you're going to do it there's a reason you're talking about it. So we created a six week uh, program, quarantine camp uh, with the theme of trailblazing. When you set out like the different stages, when you set out on a trail um, and we had 
uh, mentors, speakers. We had little cabins of small groups that meant that met once a week. And then we met once a week as well as a large group. And we had um, special speakers talking about queerness and faith, basically their own journeys. And these young people, they we had over, I think over a hundred youth sign up. And there was a few of them who there's a couple or one in Canada and one in England who signed up Wow! from all over the world, signed up for this thing. And they met every week and we sent them like little packages. We posted videos. Um, we try to keep it as engaging as possible. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was kind of a whirlwind because everything was just happening so like bam, 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 just with the pandemic. So we had to keep up with everything and make sure everything was safe. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. We started talking about branching, like expanding this into a larger organization that had like quarantine camp housed underneath it. And then I think just, we, we decided we needed to, we needed to put it on the shelf just for a minute because everyone was exhausted everyone just in the pandemic and a lot of the folks helping us with it were pastors or community organizers all the people who are caring for the community were coming to this and we eventually said we need to care for ourselves as well um so that that, self-care is of the utmost importance we do we do a really good job of talking about it yeah yep don't often do a great job of doing it yeah, because there's shame and guilt. I mean, even just this past weekend, I went to Palm Springs for a few days and, you know, I didn't tell work. I just, I took my computer, did what I could. And I had so much guilt just around getting the hell away and sleeping late and not checking emails 24 seven, you know, yeah. um, it's the most, I, 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 yeah, we kill ourselves uh, and <laughs> we'll complain it until we're, I guess, six feet under, but I, I'm glad to hear that y'all, while doing this great service to to people that needed it you also recognized we can't do this healthily healthy um until, until we take care of ourselves so is there any chance uh, you guys will revisit quarantine camp yeah i th- i think we will eventually i'm not sure in what capacity we'll do it um but i think it'll it'll reemerge at some point what was beautiful about that like shelving process the, throughout the whole thing everyone almost everyone on the planning team and even in the community was part of the community, the queer community. And just in the DNA of the organizing, we naturally just started checking in with each other. How are we doing? Do we need to slow down? Do we miss any steps in planning this? Okay, let's pause. Let's go back. And there wasn't any sense of urgency. There was a few times where we acknowledged that we feel stressed about a deadline, but then we talked about what is a deadline? Who's setting that deadline? We're setting the deadline. Well, we can push the deadline since we're the ones creating it. And we just acknowledge that like, you know, we're part of a culture that pressures us to create and produce and to meet the deadlines and to have it be perfect and have it to check all the boxes. And we did not want that. We had to have it be safe. But we even said to the youth, like, you know, this isn't going to be a perfect experience, but we are just here together, sharing this space, being in community, and they were just happy to be there. And so even in in deciding to put it on the shelf for the time being, nobody was upset. 
everyone was so grateful to have just had the experience and everyone left the experience just saying, you know, I'm so grateful to have been in a space that just acknowledged our human condition. Yeah. <laughs> and it was led by queer folks. Yeah. People and you, and you helped to take away the shame of recognizing yourself that we spoke about or the grief involved with yeah. recognizing yourself earlier. This is a safe space where people could come and just be not yeah. have to come out, not have to identify, but just fucking be. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's, you know, I, I think it's pretty known that within the the rainbow, the LGBTQ community, that the the trans community is the, the least served and honored right now. Um, and, and granted, 2020 did do a lot to, to at least elevate the need for better representation um, and support and advocacy with the, for the trans community. But what would you tell cis people who, because uh, being cisgendered, whether gay or lesbian, is also a privilege um, that is sometimes ignored. So what would you tell cisgendered Christians who maybe struggle with the idea of accepting the, the beauty and the non-binary, the beauty and the transness, that space between that we talked about earlier? Mm. <laughs> uh, my jerk reaction and my like actual reaction are different. Um, we have time. Tell me both. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I just, I've been thinking a lot about like in the pandemic, it's been so uncomfortable. Like I, I just got a massage um, about a month ago after like a year and a half of not getting a massage. And my, the person working with me was like, Ooh, you are tight. And I'm like, girl, I know it's like, hello, here we are. Um, but we, we are not good at sitting in uncomfortable spaces and then going out and releasing it. Mm. Um, so that being said, I think people with privilege, whether it's gender privilege, racial privilege, sexual identity privilege, economic privilege, we're not good at sitting with the discomfort knowing that uh, there are people with different experiences than us and that they have different uh um, not experiences like we have less privilege we have to try harder we have to work harder we have to protect ourselves harder and um i think the the jerk reactions of many cis gender folks is to like oh i'm so sorry that that's your your life you know like what can i do i'm like i don't need you to do that i need you to just sit with it yeah just sit with the discomfort and think about why it's uncomfortable for you and then go work on releasing it or educating yourself about that. Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of white folks do it too about race. If yep. some like, you know, yeah. So I think that's what I would say. Just like, we need to be better about just sitting with it and not responding right away. Just sit. Yeah. With it. And part of that's just listening. Yeah, that's and that's the easy part. Well, I mean, to some, but you're so right. We are so quick to have a reaction because we feel. But you know, that's built into what we were. I mean, the, the toxicity of the American dream. You know, before we give ourselves the breath, we are we're going, we're producing, we're making, we're working, we're doing all this stuff because we, we we can't sit still. There's such shame and fear around sitting still and just being, and even. You know, I reference a lot of verses in the Bible because it's such a large part of my upbringing, but that idea of be still and know that I am God, like that's, that's the divine just saying, sit down, uncross your legs and arms and meditate just for a minute, yeah. just for a bit. 
Well, it's funny, the translation of that, I believe it, it like it suggests that it's not like a gentle be still and know that I'm God. It's like it's God saying, be still. Exclamation like, point, exclamation I mean, point. Yeah, <laughs> sternly, like just be still for once. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's an interesting. I've never heard that before. That that actually turns that verse on its head to me. Mm. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Um, wow. So what would you say, and, and you can choose which divine this is, the divine that you experience now or the divine that you experienced during hardships of faith trauma, what would you say to, to, say to the divine were they standing before you? Mm. I think right now in my life, I would say thank you because mm. when you're in those moments of the depths of despair, um, there have been times where I'm just like, man, this is all garbage. What's the point of this? Why do I keep trying? And just at the moment when you're about to just give it all up, throw it all away, a hummingbird flies in front of you or like a little baby starts laughing. God's creation just interrupts that and like snaps you out of it for a second. And you're able to remember for a moment, oh, not everything is terrible. Hmm. So I think I would just say thank you for continuing to surprise me. Um, and the surprising is great. And it's also very rude because we like to have our own plans and agendas and checklists. And God doesn't operate like that. God is like a free-flowing, dancing, spirit, fluidity, energy thing. Right. Um, God does what God does. Yeah, they do. Uh, even wearing the white collar... Do you ever have days where you think I'm wrong? I, what am I doing? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think, I mean, I have questions all the time. I wonder what I'm doing all the time. And I think that's good. I think that's healthy yeah. to even ask that as a pastor, because I think when you reach a point where you feel like you figured it all out, that's when it gets problematic because you don't leave room for own growing and you know you've decided that you have conquered god basically yeah you know, know uh you know tony scott no okay he was um he was the first guest i had on this podcast but he's a big voice um in a, he he worked for a huge um mega church uh corporation in texas but he has a similar uh saying about when you think you've got god figured out like that's where things go to shit because mm -hmm. it's, it's that idea that you just mentioned. That's where, that's where God has conquered. Um, and there's no more space for growth. There's no more space for the unknown, which again is where I, I'm convinced that if there's a God, that's where they live. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what else is going on in the near future? You, you're at hope now you're adjusting to life in Los Angeles. You're, and you're not just in LA, you're on Melrose. Like that's yeah. like, yeah, we're right in Hollywood, which coming from Minnesota is very like, Ooh, ah, very shiny fancy but then you actually get to hollywood and it's not that shiny or fancy and it's, no it's not it's not shiny or fancy <laughs> it's regular um well for us i'm uh they really the congregation really wants to become more of a, a community interconnected uh space um they want to grow um more relationships with the lgbtq community they're right next to west hollywood and i'm like done easy I right mean, not 
but here we go. Let's do it. I would think that's actually yeah, really hard because how many queer people are so turned off by e- even progressive denominations, uh, yeah. myself included. I'm just like, mm, that's the catch. Yeah. So I think there, there's what I'm noticing is that there is kind of a, you know, for the queer community, we know what would be meaningful for us. I think a lot of queer folks, I mean, here you are, you're talking about faith and religion. We want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to talk about it in ways that churches think we do. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, what if we had a Bible study that just talks about the clobber text, but we frame it as Bible study for skeptics, atheists, and queers. Ooh. So then right away, it's already opening it up to people who wouldn't not who the church like don't always think about um targeting in in programming um and doing it in spaces like the dive bar i went to barney's beanery oh yeah they it was amazing i love that place it's so great um but like i want to i want to hit two just real quick because i this i think is really important for churches to hear that idea of of targeting people that potentially you're setting yourself up for failure, the atheists, the skeptics, the queer community. And how often, I mean, in order for churches to stay profitable, because there is a business aspect involved with churches, some good, some bad, um, we have, you have to kind of, I hate to use the word pander, but you have to kind of um, set yourself up for success. So you're going to appeal to the people that are either already in your pews or have the greatest chance of coming into your pews. And you're saying, but what about the others? which is very Christ-like in, in my mind and in, in my limited view of what Jesus Christ actually represents. You're saying, let's go talk to the other folks. Let's see what yeah. their needs are. Let's see what their questions are. How can, we, how can we be of service to them? Yeah, and not doing it with the goal of getting them into service on Sunday, but just hearing what are the needs of the community and how might, how might be, we be of service to the community? If there is a need for a needle exchange in the neighborhood, like let's say the closest needle exchange is two miles away and we're in between that one and the next one, what if we were that site? And it wasn't a, an attempt to raise numbers, but as a way to be more connected with the community. I mean- I wish y'all could see how far my eyebrows just went up on my five head because that is so- a church hosting a needle exchange. Like what, what, what? <laughs> yeah. And right in Hollywood. I mean, yeah. I think it only makes sense. I mean, I've been in many conversations where people have expressed great anxiety about trying to do more programming to get more people. One, we've only been in person for two months. Two, still in a pandemic. Three, we've had four new people come in the last two weeks and we haven't even done anything. The right. most we've done is hang a rainbow flag, two rainbow flags. And been posting on social media more. But and what, one of those flags is welcoming you, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's a pride flag welcoming me and there's a coexist flag. That's so funny because I was on Melrose about a month ago. It's right before I reached out to you about booking you for this podcast. And even though we follow each other on social media, I had just not put two and two together that you were now in Los Angeles. And I was just at the red light right there. I think, is it Genesee? Genesee? What, what, um, what street is there? Yeah. Mansfield and Melrose Mansfield. Yes. And I was just at the red light and I look over and it's like, welcome pastor drew. And I was like, Oh my God, he's, <laughs> he's here. Okay. Yeah. It was so yeah. funny. I was like, I've got to reach out to him. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's what, what if instead of trying harder to get people, what if we just existed as we were 
ideally as communities that love authentically and unconditionally and just listen to the needs of the community and ask people. So I'm, I'm trying to find opportunities to do like community organizing trainings or one-to-one trainings with our congregation, because that's all we need to do is just talk to people in the area. It's a large neighborhood. Um, but just here, like Isn't that. it interesting how the most, the most Christ-like of concepts is perceived as the most radical of I executions? Know. I mean, you just go up to people and ask them, yeah, you just ask them questions. Like there's one guy, I was like, can I ask you? And he's like, drinking his coffee. And like, this isn't any pressure or anything, but I'm just curious. Do you go to church? And he's like, no. I'm like, okay. Can I ask why? He's like, I just... And that's kind of a loaded question for a lot of people these days. Yeah. You said, I'm not interested in it anymore. I'm like, okay, makes sense. Yeah. But like just asking people, like, do you go to church? If yes, where, if not, can I ask why? Um, also recognizing you don't know me, so you don't owe me any response or any answer. Sure. I'm not trying to get you there. I'm just curious, you know, we're in the neighborhood. We want to hear what people in the neighborhood are up to. What is the the uh, the ELC's view on on people who can you hear my dog snoring right now? It is so loud, and I have headphones on. Um, <laughs> what is the ELC and, and the ELC's view on people who don't actively and in this lifetime accept Christ as the Savior? Because that's one of my big problems with Christianity is the exclusivity um, that that shuns. Uh, or rejects other paths to the divine? Mm. Well, in, I'll, I'll say, I'll say it about, I'll start with communion and then I'll answer it further in communion. What we believe is yes, it's the true um, body and blood of Christ, but it could be in anything. It can be in Doritos. It can be in cinnamon rolls. It can be in a loaf of bread, but that, bread and grape juice or wine isn't the body and blood until the words of God are instituted upon it. So when God's name and presence is invoked, invoked into them, that's when God goes to work. So we believe that God is at work constantly. God is doing the most all the time, and we don't even have to try. God is just working all the time. So it's hard. I mean, for the queer community, especially, it's hard to say, well, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're going to hell. Well, I think God's heart, God's love for us is greater than that. So while God says, for all who believe in me have eternal life, I think that God loves us so greatly just in creating us and envisioning us. God loves us so greatly that there's room for everyone. Um, I start out services by saying, no matter where you are on your journey of faith or doubt, God meets you here. There's room for everyone at the table. There's, and if it's not a big enough table, you just go outside, make, bring more chairs, bring them in. Someone I had on this show one time said, we we don't just um, tell you that you have a place at the table. We encourage you to make your own table. Like, oh, that's interesting. I, I can dig that. Because that's one of my, just in, in loving so many people who either culturally or specifically do not abide by the Christian faith and teaching traditions, I can't accept, I cannot be a part of a religion or a viewpoint 
that diminishes someone else's potential for uh, uh, eternal peace or reincarnation or, or, you know, whatever someone thinks heaven is, you yeah. know, um, I will actively fight against believing in that, um, potentially putting my own self and soul at risk yeah. um, because of that. So I'm, I'm always curious as to uh, within the progress- progressive sect of Christianity, what happens to the rest of us? Well, and the interesting thing is interesting. God doesn't need us to believe in God. God is totally cool doing God's own thing over there. But I think God loves us so much that God just wants to hang out with us all the time. Cause God's like, I, you are the shit. I created you from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. And I know every detail about you, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, all of it. Yeah. And I still just want to hang out with you. And if you, don't want to hang out with me. That's okay. I'll just sit over here and sit my tea, but I'm not going anywhere. I don't think God abandons us just because we are angry or we're upset or we don't believe in God. I think God just is regardless of what we think. God just is. Yeah. Well, well, I really appreciate this conversation today. You've enlightened me on many topics, uh, especially about the ELC. I'm just, I, I never knew that it was such a progressive denomination um, and, and could be a potential home for a lot of queer people looking for a community of, of excuse me, a community of Christians. Um, what would you say then, just real quick, to um, the, the, the queer youth struggling with faith? or to faith people who are struggling with accepting the queer community? Mm. To young people who are struggling with faith, I I think I'll just echo what I just said is that, you know, your faith journey is yours and you go at your pace. If someone tries to rush you to believing something that you don't, you're not sure you believe in, God doesn't need you to rush. God is just, with you and God loves you no matter what, no exceptions. Um, to faith people who are having a hard time accepting, um, educate yourselves. Talk mm-hmm. to me, talk to other people in the community. In our, uh, in the two, what we call synods, uh, are like the governing church bodies in our, in California, in the region. Um, we are, currently have the first openly transgender bishop and uh, are about to install the first openly lesbian bishop. Wow, that's great. So it's not a perfect denomination. We're not perfect in the least bit. We're, we're, they were still very flawed and we're doing a lot of work to try and make it better, but it wouldn't be for the marginalized communities. Like it wouldn't be for us if, um, we're the ones who are making the change happen. Why did you stick around with the ELC as opposed to going to the UCC or to, you know, an, another Episcopalian or some other progressive sect that's already done the work? I, I love grace too much. Mm. I love the theology of grace. I just, from myself, I just feel like there have been many points in my life where my, the inner turmoil is just so dark that how could any divine power love me but then just being affirmed that no jesus literally went to hell and back and in that we are still loved 
So you can go to hell and back and go to the depths of despair in your own life and still be loved. Reverend Drew Stever, thank you so much for your words. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to chatting with you again and to hearing how my listeners react to the, the true message of Christ and Christianity that you have provided us this past hour. Thank you for having me, Matt. And all the people said, gay men. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Fagnostic Podcast hosted by me, Matt Hayes. You can find me at matthayes.com. That's M-A-T-H-A-Y-E-S.com or on just the millennial socials at Hayes on it. H-A-Y-E-S on it. Please go subscribe, review, and share this podcast. And in the meantime, peace be with all y'all. Hi, Michael Spicer here. Matt Hayes forgot to put my name in the credits of his podcast as the composer, but I'm here to tell you that I wrote the music for his podcast. Whatever the it's called, I don't know.